Coming up on the Keto Camp Podcast, we welcome Bitten Johnson. With an addict, there is no why. They eat anyway. And, you know, they become obsessed. And they're ruled by the reward center, which wants the drug for anything, you know, no reason whatsoever. So they have to come up with reasons why they eat, which is all, you know, fantasies in order to justify, because they don't, we don't understand ourselves why we do this to ourselves. Because we are, as I said, like a missile locked on target. So once the addiction is in place, you know, we are obsessed to get the drug and to fight the drug and get the drug and fight the drug. An addiction is like water around the ship looking for a leak constantly to get in. We have access to ancient healing strategies such as ketosis, fasting, and carnivore. And on the Keto Camp podcast, we are determined to deliver the science to you. We bring in the thought leaders in this space to have extraordinary conversations so you could apply it and change your life. Your body was built to thrive. Your body is capable of healing as long as you identify the interference and remove it. I believe you are a masterpiece because you are a piece of the master. My name is Ben Azadi. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper. Hope you're having an incredible day already. Thanks for pressing play today. Today's episode is an important one because we talk about sugar addiction. Bitten Johnson is a world leader. She's a registered nurse and a go-to expert when we talk about the brain, addiction, how to overcome it, especially for those who are taking one step forward, two steps back, starting, stopping, starting, stopping, self-sabotaging, and just frustrated with the results they're getting. We'll get into her backstory. You're going to learn why she decided to devote her life to sugar addiction. We recorded this. She was in Sweden. I was in Miami Beach, Florida, where I live. And it was such a fun episode. I, I love Bitten Johnson. I connected with her a couple of years ago, a little over two years ago. I saw some of the work she was doing and I reached out to her and said, hey, I, I want to you know, have a conversation with you on Zoom. How, how can I support your mission? Because I loved what she was doing. So we hopped on a Zoom. It was supposed to be 15 minutes, ended up being like a 45 minute Zoom call. And we just talked about how we could support each other. Ever since then, we've been following each other on social media. She interviewed me for her YouTube channel, which we'll put a link down below. And now it's my turn to interview her for my Keto Camp podcast, which is today's episode. You're going to learn about what exactly is sugar addiction. You're going to learn about the sensitive reward system. Then we'll get into the brain, how sugar impacts your brain. And she said 80% of relapses is because of some outlet the client didn't know about. What does that mean? She'll get into that. We talk about what's going on biochemically first and why sugar is a gateway drug to other bad behaviors. She's going to talk about the benefits of an LSD trip. Hey, it's not what you think. You'll hear what we mean. Then we get into some resources, some supplements you can take that could calm the brain. She really does an amazing job of explaining what is going on in the brain when you have those thoughts that are like, go to the kitchen, get ice cream. Oh my gosh, have those cravings and succumb to those cravings. She refers it to red dog versus blue dog. And I love this comparison because the red dog is that devil, if you will, that tells you, go get the sugar, eat until you're full, keep eating. The blue dog tells you, hey, let's be aware. Let's be in control. And she talks about how to get more of the blue dog, less of the red dog. She gets into a concept called conscious breathing, which is super fascinating why she believes in writing down a list of what takes energy from you versus what charges you up, making a commitment every morning, Blue Dog Boosters, which is that blue dog we spoke about. And she talks about her various Facebook groups and so much more. You're going to love Ben. I can't wait to bring her on shortly. Before I bring her on, I want to take a minute to get to the Apple Podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five-star review from Slim-ish Co. 
titled Just Learning. These episodes have been very helpful, and I've shared it with my friends who are practicing keto and fasting. Keep up the good work. We sure will, and you keep up the good work of studying, applying, sharing. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen and to leave the rating and review. It really does help the show grow. If you haven't left the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review, please do so right now, and maybe we'll give you a shout out and read your review on the next episode. All right, let's have a conversation about sugar addiction with Bitten Johnson. Bitten Johnson is a registered nurse. She's a U.S.-trained expert on food addiction who specializes in helping people to break free from unhealthy attachments to foods such as sugar and processed carbohydrates. She has been on the board of directors for the Food Addiction Institute located in Florida since 2010. Bitten has decades of experience treating patients with food addiction and has developed a holistic treatment program for food addiction for food addicts in which she offers education for professionals both in Sweden and online. We had one of her students on a previous episode, David Wolf, a couple years ago, and that was one of our highest downloaded podcasts, which we'll drop down below to listen to after this one. Here is Bitten Johnson. Bitten Johnson, welcome to the Keto Camp Podcast. Oh, thank you, Ben. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here with you. This is long overdue, as I was just telling you offline. I've been an admirer of your work for several years now, and we've spoken offline. We've had conversations. We support each other online and through email uh, uh, conversations. Yeah, there's a video with you on my YouTube channel, which I'm very, very bad at marketing. I will be better <laughs> next year. So you interviewed me for your YouTube channel, and uh, we'll put that link in the in the podcast notes so the listeners could go check that out. You are a world-renowned expert on sugar addiction, and I want to hear your story, and I want you to share your story with my audience. How did that come about? Well, it's a long story, but I'll try to be very short. When I was five, I loved sugar cubes. You know, I grew up in a home where my mom cooked everything from scratch, so I grew up on really good food, but I still loved sugar cubes. I, I stole them, you know, when I was little, and I, because I knew I wasn't allowed to eat them. Uh, but I did. And then, you know, growing up, you know, we didn't have candy or soda. And thank God for that. I never liked soda anyway. But we have homemade cookies and cinnamon buns sometimes, very rarely, you know, like midsummer, Christmas, Easter. So there wasn't a lot of sweets. But there was one thing that my aunt introduced me to, and that was chocolate. And from that day, you know, I was had. I loved chocolate more than anything and ice cream. So those were my drugs. And uh, during the teenage year, you know, as many teenage uh, girls, I was dieting. But, you know, looking back at pictures, I wasn't overweight, maybe a little bit chubby, you know, hormone chubby as a teenager. Uh, but it was really not any reason for dieting. And, you know, dieting plays havoc with your body. If you really want to be overweight and have a metabolic dysfunction and be sick, you should diet. I mean, this on, off, starving, binging and all that. So it really destroys everything. And then in nursing school, I learned that if you smoke, you suppress your appetite. So that's why we started smoking. We practiced in the evening, you know, to smoke so we could, you know, uh, be slimmer and skinnier, which of course was the thing we talked about and diets and all that. So we uh, and the interesting thing, Ben, was that I was a smoker right away. Several of the other girls, they could not smoke. They hated it. It was disgusting, but I loved it. And many years later, I understand why. And then uh, on top of that, you know, we were going out dancing and having fun. So I started drinking when I was 19 and again, loved it. Absolutely wonderful. And I thought, my God, why haven't I started this earlier? <laughs> So to make a long story short, when I was 33, I was an alcoholic. Well, actually, I became an alcoholic very, very early after 19. But, you know, in the first years, you don't have any real consequences. You're just a big party girl. So I could drink a lot and party. And, you know, I didn't have the consequences of being sick at work or driving under influence or nothing of that. But people close to me complained that when I drank, I got really drunk, but I could not drink, you know, most of the time. It's not that I drank every day. It's funny, people ask me a lot, how much did you eat? 
How, how often did you eat sweets? Uh, how much did you drink? How often did you drink? And that is uh, the question that doesn't answer the problem because you can drink a lot and often and not be an alcoholic. You can drink little, seldom and be an alcoholic. And it's the same with sugar. And this is something that's a hard fact for many people to grasp. But you know, it's, it's about the brain. It's about how your brain react to it. And my brain loved these drugs. And I was really addicted. I really loved them. So I was very, very fortunate. I met my American husband in Stockholm in 1981. And 1982, I moved to US, California, started working as a nurse and ended up in a hospital, believe it or not, that had a treatment unit for chemical dependency. And you know, this was very interesting because when I heard the term chemical dependency, I thought coming from Sweden where, you know, alcoholism is seen upon as frowned upon as bad character or some kind of psychosocial problem and so forth, and not as an illness. This was 1982 and 83, 84, 85, before I came into treatment. But anyway, uh, you know, uh, the thing was that was so interesting that was that I thought that maybe they ate paint, had a, by mistake been eating paint. That's why they have a chemical problem. That's how little I knew. So <laughs> it's hysterical looking back at it. But anyway, that's my first meeting with addiction medicine. And then 1985, I was in treatment myself in Capistrano by the sea in California. And that's the absolutely best thing that happened in my life. So I was 33 at that time. And I fell in love with addiction medicine, totally fell in love with the knowledge. And I was very angry, angry that we in Sweden didn't know this. The years that was lost when I felt like the most rotten person on earth, not thinking I could handle this, trying to control it and so forth. So that's when my sober life started. And I decided I'm not going to go back to nursing. Uh, you know, I, I just felt that we didn't address that problem. So why would I be there? Uh, we only work with the consequences and not the real cause that was addiction. Uh, so I started learning more about that and decided this is what I'm going to work with. And I've never changed after mm -hmm. that. So 1992, uh, I met Terence Gorski, CNAPS Corporation in Florida. He's no longer with us, but he was my mentor. And he taught me relapse prevention and relapse treatment. And that was one of the big pieces to understand addiction, because it is, it's an illness that goes in remission and then relapse and remission is very tricky illness to deal with in that way. It's very easy to relapse. So how do you prevent that? What do you need to do in order to do that? And he said that alcoholics and drug addicts that kept smoking, drinking a lot of coffee and eating junk food had a much higher risk to relapse into alcohol and drugs. And as a nurse also, I thought, wow, how is that connected? We didn't know about addiction interaction disorder at that time. So that was something that really grasped me. And I thought, this is very important, but I don't understand really how yet. So I went home, quit smoking. Uh, I'd been sober for seven years, quit smoking, cut down on coffee. And then I thought, thank God I'm not eating junk food because junk food to me was McDonald's and Coca-Cola. So, and I didn't like that because I, I wasn't really fond of the bread or it wasn't attractive to me. I never dawned on me that chocolate and ice cream could be junk food. So I kept eating that. But also when I stopped smoking, uh, you know, I thought, well, I need to comfort myself with something. So it's okay to eat a little bit more chocolate and ice cream. Now when I'm so good and not smoking, mm -hmm. Uh, and that's when I realized uh, I got sick very quickly. Uh, most of all, I was fatigued, foggy brain, listless. I gained weight. I felt miserable. But, you know, I kept not smoking. So because I decided I'm going to quit that. 
And also the interesting thing when you eat sugar like that, you pretty quickly get into foggy brain. So you don't really see how sick you become. So you think, well, it's only for today. I just have a little bit for today. And then I quit tomorrow on Monday or New Year's Day or whatever. So you're really good at rationalizing. But then one day uh, I was working at a treatment facility uh, down in the middle of Sweden. And we had an American program director. Her name was Jean Britt. She was really good. So uh, she was there training us. And I said to her, listen, I think it's really strange. I quit smoking and I quit drinking, but I don't seem to be able to quit uh, chocolate and ice cream. I try, but I can't. She looked at me and she said, you know, maybe you're a food addict. And I was shocked. I never heard that terminology. This is 1993. I never heard that word. And I thought, what's that? And then I said to her, no, no, I don't want any more addictions. I'm done with addiction. (laughs) That was funny. But you know, also deep down, I knew that I was using alcohol and ice cream. No, I'm sorry, ice cream and chocolate, the way I was using alcohol. I was hiding, lying, sneaking, trying to quit. I couldn't. I lost control. I made all these promises to myself all the time, and I broke everyone all the time. I just, you know, moved it. Well, I do it tomorrow. I do it next week. Well, from Monday, I'm not going to do it. And I broke it and broke it and broke it. And that's so typical for an addict. We have lost control. Our brain is hijacked. You know, we're like a missile locked on target. So that's, you know, how it started. But the interesting thing is that uh, after starting to work with that and study it, I can clearly, clearly see, uh, you know, that it started when I was young. So it was sugar first, then nicotine, then alcohol. So when I took away first alcohol, then nicotine, sugar was left. So I didn't become a sugar addict when I quit smoking, as a lot of people think they do. It's just exploded when I quit smoking. My story is a very common story. We work with something today that's called addiction interaction disorder, one illness, many outlets. And we think that between five to maybe 17%, some researchers say that, have uh, you know only one outlet. Most of us have several outlets. And also we think that 80% of the relapse in food addiction might be, or any addiction, mainly alcohol and drug addiction, is because of some hidden outlet, like sugar, for instance, because many alcoholics and drug addicts do not address the sugar addiction. And it's absolutely 100% clear that sugar is the gateway drug into all other addictions. So that's what I want to say. Yeah, it's fascinating that your journey from the early 1980s to now we're in 2021 going into 2022. You said something early on where if somebody eats small amounts of sugar, high amounts of sugar, some alcohol, a lot of alcohol, that really doesn't determine whether they're an addict or or not. What determines it is what's happening in the brain. Could you go a little bit deeper into that statement? Absolutely. Most will end up overdoing it with time. But what I'm saying is that you can be addicted even, you know, very, very early on small amounts and trying to control it and not eat or drink very often. So it has to do with what happens to your brain, you know, how an addiction develops. So a lot of people think that you have to eat a lot or drink a lot in order to be addicted. No, you can start with very small amounts and still be addicted and then it will increase over time. So the instrument, the diagnostic tool that I've developed, the sugar instrument, shows that it starts very, very early with sugar. You know, and people don't eat huge amount at that time, but they still have symptoms of addiction in the international diagnostic criteria. It is very, very obvious. So most people that start eating sugar around four or five years can have one symptom then, And then you need to have three symptoms spread in three criteria to be diagnosed with an addiction. And usually you have that around 10, age 10, 11. That's how fast it goes. Wow. 
Yeah. And usually you don't start drinking until you are 15, 16, 17. And then it goes even faster. Each drug that comes into your life, you become addicted to faster and faster. Hey, Keto Camper, I want to just pause for a second and tell you about my favorite drink for metabolic health. On this podcast, we talk about the importance of metabolic health, metabolic flexibility. Well, this is called Good Idea. And it is a great idea if you are trying to reduce blood sugar and keep your insulin levels in a healthy range. It has zero calories, zero sweeteners, and none of the junk ingredients, and it tastes like a lightly sparkling water. I call it a functional sparkling water because it has been clinically tested and shown to reduce blood sugar spikes after a meal. It contains a blend of amino acids and chromium piclinate. Together, they slow gastric emptying and increase insulin sensitivity, allowing a steady release of glucose in the bloodstream where it can be transferred into the cells for fuel. It also contains zinc and potassium as an added benefit. They hooked you all up with a special coupon code. So all you need to do is head over to goodidea.us and apply the coupon code BEN, that is B-E-N, at checkout at goodidea.us. I'm going to drop that link in the podcast notes along with the coupon code. All right, let's get back to this episode. So you mentioned that you have a formula criteria to kind of assess if somebody has an addiction. Somebody listening or watching right now, it might be clicking for them. Oh, maybe I do have an addiction. Maybe I am addicted to sugar or to alcohol or whatever it is. You also mentioned one of the things to pay attention to is hiding your addiction, hiding your um enjoyment, right? I think I heard you say like nobody's hiding like cucumbers and carrots and hiding that away from people. So what are some other signs to pay attention to and talk a little bit more about, you know, how you identify an addiction is is real or not? Okay, so the important thing is to know if you have harmful use or addiction, because there's totally different treatment methods for those two, which a lot of people don't understand. I like to go into saying that there are social users you know, people that can have a tiny little piece of chocolate or sip a little bit on a drink and nothing happens in their brain. There is no uh, firework in the brain in these people. They think it tastes good, but you know, they don't get hooked on it. They're not obsessed about it, thinking about it, you know, for hours afterwards. They could have it or not have it. They are social users. So it's important to know that we have those. Okay. Then we have harmful users, and they are the emotional eaters. They eat when they're sad, when they're happy, when they're stressed, uh, you know, because it is in our culture, because they are part in a baking team or, you know, uh, all kinds of reasons because why they uh, eat wrong or overeat or whatever they do. Uh, so in the question of the harmful use, uh, users, you can ask why. Why do you do this? Why don't you do this instead? So why is correct there? Then you have addicts. You can never ask why do you eat with an addict. That's a totally wrong question because it's a primary illness. It doesn't have a cause. It is the drug acting on your brain. So that's a big difference. And with the harmful users, you know, they can get overweight, they can have diabetes, they can have all kinds of, you know, illnesses like a problem with their microbiome or thyroid or adrenals or what have you, but they are not addicted. They don't have that amount of loss of control that an addict has. So with harmful users, you can work with moderation. You teach them other coping strategies because most of them eat on stress, of course. So they can have a huge toolbox to deal with all these things and figure out why do I do this, you know? With an addict, there is no why. They eat anyway. And, you know, they become obsessed and they're ruled by the reward center, which wants the drug for anything, you know, no reason whatsoever. So they have to come up with reasons why they eat, which is all, you know, fantasies in order to justify because they don't, we don't understand ourselves why we do this to ourselves because we are, as I said, like a missile locked on target. So once the addiction is in place, you know, we are obsessed to get the drug and to fight the drug and get the drug and fight the drug. 
An addiction is like water around the ship, looking for a leak constantly to get in. And we have all kinds of craziness, like we have something called cue-induced craving. So once it's in place, you know, when we see the drug or smell the drug or like in a movie theater, hear people eating, that triggers our brain into a massive craving attack. And then, you know, you don't rule over yourself. It's, you're like, you know, a zombie walking to the store, buying these things, eating them. So you should never ask an addict why. The question to, to talk to an addict about is how can I help you get out of this incredible trap you're in? Because you are in jail and addiction comes from the Latin addicere, which means enslaved. And that's what it is. And the, th the signs you can see in these people is that, you know, they try all the diets in the world, but they don't succeed. They always fall back. And they're going to do that until they really address their addiction, own the problem, you know, say, I am an addict. I have the illness of addiction. And a lot of people are terrified of that because that means that you have to give up the drug because with addiction, it's total abstinence. You know, we cannot eat in moderation. In the first uh, months or years, or it takes, of course, a little bit different long time for different people. But whenever we see it, we see the drug, smell the drug, hear the drug, that's going to trigger our brain. So, you know, you have to have a totally different toolbox to help an addict to get out of the addiction, to be happy, joyous, and free, which is the goal when you don't trigger on stuff. Mm -hmm. So there are many, many symptoms on addiction. You know, we rather eat alone than be with people. And then, you know, of course, somebody would say, well, poor you, you eat because you're lonely. Well, the truth is, if it is addiction, you have to turn all those statements on the or see them, they are upside down. So I manipulate so I become only so I can eat by myself. Do you see what I mean? Yep. So what we think with addiction, what we see with addiction is the consequences, like poor economy, poor health, poor relationships, on and on and on. They are consequences. It's not because of them we eat. So addiction is the core, you know, the, the thing you have to look at. It causes poor relationship. It causes mood swings. It causes, you know, all these problems with economy because we lose the mental horsepower. Mm -hmm. So we don't have the strength to really deal with the situation as long as we keep putting the drug in our system because it's going to, uh, people say to me when they come to me, you know, uh, clients, I feel so depressed. And I used to ask them, do you think you're really depressed? Or could it maybe be that you have loss of energy on a cellular level? And they look at me shocked. Nobody ever said that to me. But you're right. That's exactly how it feels. I have no energy to deal with these things. So it is the loss of energy that is so incredible, uh, important to start looking at and to restore. And, you know, when I follow you on social media, I see that, you know, all the things you put out is to help people restore energy. Uh, that's what you're aiming at. And that's why the things that you put out there are so great for these people. Although... I think it is really good that you add, you know, the knowledge about addiction because a, an addict that is hiding that they are an addict, but follow your advice will fail time after time because they don't have the capacity to keep that mental horsepower. Mm -hmm. They're going to try everything you put out and they're going to do it. And then of course they're going to fall back in the food trap and then they're going to think, I'm bad. I'm lousy. Everybody else can follow Ben's advice. I can't. Because once you understand you're an addict, you own it. You deal with it. You understand what it is. You learn about the brain, everything about the brain and how addiction talks in you and all that. Then your advice is gold. Do you see which way I mean that you should start? Absolutely. This is also something I see today more and more. It's been very obvious to me that 
so many in the keto low carb field have so many good tools and so much knowledge, but they don't talk addiction, which is rampant in our society today. So we have to start having the guts to talk about addiction in a loving way. You know, I did some training recently for some health professionals and they said to me, I'm very taken the way you talk about addicts. And I said, what do you mean? Well, most people criticize them and think, you know, that they are lazy or don't do what you tell them and they don't understand why. You talk about them lovingly and understandingly. And I said, of course, I really understand that they are uh, hijacked. You know, their brain is really hijacked by the drug and they don't see it. Because the thing too is you get something called biochemical denial. So I used to joke and say you have fuss on the synapses from the drug. So you have poor connection and that's what happened. And then another thing, which drug are we exposed to first in life? Sugar, as babies, as toddlers, as children. So the early exposure, and if you know a lot about the brain, you know that the brain is not developed. You know, when you are a child, the brain develops when you learn, when you're living in, in a good environment with good nutrition. So it's only actually the reptilian brain is ready wired early because it's a survival part. But you know, the rest of the brain is not. So think about, you know, pouring that junk food, uh, toxic food into that little brain that is not developed yet. It can't be other than wrong. They don't get a chance. They don't really have a good chance if they develop an addiction. So their life gonna be, you know, eating, dieting, eating, dieting. And I meet so many adults that have had a tremendous ba battle. They are such strong people. They've tried everything for years, you know, and failed and tried again and get back up and try it again. They are really like athletes. They're extremely strong people. And I also used to joke and say, if a normal person that doesn't have this biochemistry and this sensitive brain and this problem, if they would do everything you have done, they would die because you have survived doing all this. So talk about strength because they like, not like to, they, they actually view themselves as weak, you know? And I liked your picture because it looks like space from here, but I'm a space yeah. nerd. Okay. I like space research and everything with the universe and space. And I used to say to people, well, you know, the Hubble telescope out there, and it's going to come a new one now, even more sensitive. It's very sensitive. Would you say that that is something that's bad, that that telescope can see galaxies? It's amazing. It's sensitive? Yes. That's the addict brain. It's very sensitive. But if you don't have a driver license on it, if you have the wrong toolbox, Nobody teaches you these things. You don't have a chance. You're going to destroy it. So you mentioned three different types of, of people. You mentioned the addict, the harmful user, I think you said, and then the, a social user. Yes. If somebody's an addict, is there a chance for some of them to turn into a harmful user and then a social user? Or is it complete abstinence and you're an addict and that's, you know, you just have to abstain from these things? Yes. Okay, so it's the latter. An addict is always an addict. An addict is always an addict, yes. There was a study on alcoholics many, many years ago, you know, between they looked at diagnosed and looked at harmful users and addicts to see if harmful users could become addicts. But they are distant cousins. Very few of the harmful users turn into addicts. So addiction is something you develop really early when you get in touch with the drug. So that, you know, tells me that some people just have that sensitivity. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I like to say, and I think Lustig has said this somewhere, that we have much powerful drugs now. The more powerful the drug is and the more fast it acts in our body, the easier it is to become addicted, even for somebody that might not be that sensitive. And, you know, we have high fructose corn syrup. So that's a very, very toxic drug. It is. 
it's like crack cocaine yeah type thing. yeah exactly so let's let's talk about two people right now and let's give some maybe some advice for one person who is about to start the ketogenic diet they're they're an addict all right and they want to do keto they want to get healthy they want to lose weight what would be this person's uh, first two or three steps okay First of all, I like to say that I think a keto diet is the best diet for a broken brain and for addicts. I really believe that after all these years, you know, that I work with different food plans. I'm convinced about that. But they need support. That person needs a tremendous support to go from, you know, this junk food diet into keto diet. Let me put that because the body going to violently protest you know, with withdrawal, like you wouldn't believe it. It's not like some little keto flu. It's much worse than that. Would you recommend a slow approach into keto? And then what what do you mean by support exactly? Okay, I'm going to come into that. First of all, I would suggest that somebody that thinks they might have a loss of control and a problem with addiction, they would do this sugar assessment that I developed, you know, which is done by a professional. Uh, it's like going to, you know, a, a doctor or anyone to get a diagnosis to really see what's wrong with my body. So the sugar assessment is really, really important, I think, to know that I'm an addict. Because in an addict's head, it uh, sounds like this. I'm probably a little bit ad- addicted. No, I'm not addicted. I can eat a little bit of that. No, I might have an addiction. It might be serious. No, no, no. There is no such thing as sugar addiction. Keep eating, blah, blah, blah. You know, you have the war between what I call the red dog, which is addiction, and the blue dog, the healthy part. All the time is the war on when you're active. Uh, it's horrible. You know, then you know for sure I'm an addict. It's black and white. You can never, ever get away from it. So you know. So most people that have that done, they start crying, relieved, and say, thank God I have an addiction. I'm not nuts because I behave like crazy with all the things I'm trying, of course, you know, that's what we do. We try everything. So first of all, I would suggest that people take it serious. It is a serious brain illness. So do that uh, assessment, that diagnostic uh, assessment and see how does my addiction look? You know? Can you share where, where they can go do that? Absolutely. They can go to my website and uh, during uh, patients, there is, you know, get help and there is a, a big bar come up, show contact. There is a PDF. And in that PDF, you know, there is a, a, a column where it says SL, sugar license. Look at the person, their website, their name, their phone number, and SL. And anyone could also uh, email me. And I promise to connect people with a person close to them that can do it. But we do it online. Can you share your website and email? Bittensaddiction.com. B-I-T-T-E-N-S addiction.com. So that's what, what people should do. Or, or email me through my website and I uh, make sure I get you in touch with somebody that can help you with that. Thank so you. Then we know for sure. We know if you're addicted or have harmful use. We know how your addiction looks. We get uh, you know a tremendous amount of information by doing that. Uh, all the symptoms, the age when the symptoms come, we get a chronological curve over your whole life with your addiction, all the consequences and so forth. And that would give that professional all the information they need to do you know, a detailed individual treatment plan. With that score, is there a degree of how addicted you are or is it like you're pregnant yes, either you so are or you are okay. you know the more symptoms you have the longer you've had it the more severe it is of Got course it. yeah absolutely you can have a maximum of 24 symptoms and you need three symptoms spread in three of the international criteria there is six criteria in icd-10 and there's 11 criteria in dsm-5 so you need three in three and, you know, most people have, when they come to us, 18, 19, 20, some have 24. So uh, they have been sick for a long, long time. So there's a lot of damage done. But we do have tools for everything and we can repair everything, I promise. But I 
belong to the people that think that you should go cold turkey, you know, because I think it's very hard to uh, detox somebody, you know, if I were to have a treatment facility where I could lock people up, I mean, not lock them in, but, you know, they could putter around in a robe and slippers, you know, and have their detox with professionals around them all the time in a safe environment with the real food, you know, that's a different thing. But, you know, to be at home and eat a little bit sugar every day, that's going to make it explode. You're not going to be able to make it because you're putting the drug in. You can't do that with cocaine and alcohol either. It's not going to work. Take a little bit of alcohol, you know, three days a week, tapering down. Wow, it's unheard of. So I think that's very hard. So I don't believe in that. I believe that they go in on a keto food plan, but we give them support both biochemically and of course, uh, mentally and socially and spiritually and uh, in every way. Some of the things I use is coconut oil, MCT oil, glutamine, GABA. I use this conscious breathing, which is excellent. Have you heard about that? Um, I'm not sure. Tell me. Yeah. Well, it's a breathing technique that a friend of mine works with. And, you know, this little breathing tool was first come from a Russian doctor called Bitienko. And he was studying people that were dying, that they were over breathing and had shallow, shallow breathing. And addicts are very stressed people. So they over breathe. You know, you breathe very fast up here. And we have stress apnea. You know, you come sit down on your desk, you open your computer and hundred mails boom in like this and you go, and you hold your breath and you hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> you forget to breathe. Yeah. So this is a very, very simple technique where we use a breathing resistance. And it's a good too because of cravings, you put it in your mouth. You know, you have something in your mouth and it's a rubber membrane in here. So you breathe. It's a resistant one to five. So this is one of the tools. We have many, many tools. So and you hear the sound. It's a very soothing sound. You breathe in through your nose to heat up the air. And then uh, and a lot of people have stuffy nose and use nose drops. You might know that. And yeah. that's because they mouth breathe. Because when you mouth breathe, your body is trying to help you by, by squeezing your nose together. So you have to force it open by nose breathing, mm -hmm. nose breathing in and out. So uh, there is a lot of techniques you can learn with, with uh, that breathing. But this calms you down, you know, gives your brain oxygen, lowers your stress, increase your metabolism, and, you know, the biochemistry in the body. You can use it, uh, you know, when you drive your car, when you walk in the woods, <laughs> when you watch TV, when you read. I love it because it's so simple. You don't have to pack a bag and go to a class and do training. You do it wherever you are at home. I love so it. I love this technique with this breathing. Conscious breathing is what you called it? Consciousbreathing.com is the website. Awesome. And you can read about my testimonial there. Because I'm a speed freak, you know, I talk fast, I walk fast, I do, 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 you know, that's me. So it was when I found this tool in 2013, I just instantly thought, oh, shoot, here it is. I need this. So I've used it since. Then I tape my mouth at night. Mm, me too, would, every night. You do? Every oh, night. I love it. Yes. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's what I do. And I notice if I'm so tired that I fall asleep, forget about taping. It happens now and then, of course. Thank God I'm not perfect. You know, then I'm much more tired the day after. So taping my mouth is another thing to restore energy. I have people do lists, you know, of what takes energy from you. How do you fill up energy? Because everybody... If I ask you, how do you lose energy, Ben? I promise you, you could tell me several things that you lose energy on. But then I say, okay, so how do you fill up your energy during the day? Uh, you're going to go, uh, well, yeah, I pet my dog, I eat. But, you know, it's much harder. 
to tell how you fill up. Isn't that amazing? That's right. So, you're, you're right. Yeah. So I teach people to how do you fill up? How do you do micro breaks? How do you, you know, breathing is one, going out, looking at a tree, pet your dog, drink a glass of water, uh, you know, just stand still and ground yourself. I mean, there's so many ways you can do that. Sometimes at night, right before bed, my mind is just racing. I have problems that I need to solve, ideas I want to put into action, content I want to create. And I know you can relate. The mind just keeps racing, but I want it to calm down for some sleep, quality sleep. One of the things that I did to really overcome the mind racing at night is two things. Number one, something called a mental dump. It's not as gross as it sounds. I would just write down on a piece of paper what's on my mind. So if it's a problem, I'll write it down. If it's an idea, I'll write it down. I'll take it from the mind, from the brain, to a piece of paper. And then I combine that with the second solution, which is taking a high-quality magnesium supplement. And they're not all the same. For me, it's magnesium breakthrough. And since I have implemented mag breakthrough, now I have no problem falling asleep. These two solutions work really, really well. Unlike other magnesium supplements that might be giving you maybe one to two forms of magnesium, Mag Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium designed to help calm your mind, help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Over 75% of the population is magnesium deficient. And what most people don't know is that even when they're taking a magnesium supplement, they could still be deficient because they're not getting all seven forms. This is where Mag Breakthrough is the ultimate way to give your body all seven forms in one supplement. For an exclusive offer to all Keto Camp Academy listeners, head over to magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 at checkout. You'll save 10% off this all-natural, full-spectrum magnesium supplement. We'll drop the link down below in the podcast notes. That is magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp, and the coupon code is ketocamp10. You actually, for your clients, you have them go on an LSD trip. Can you talk about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love my LSD trip. Well, <laughs> I, Everybody's I like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are we going right now with the conversation? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> Many years ago, when I studied insulin and leptin and all that, you know, I learned that to increase insulin sensitivity, you had to walk uh, not high intensity training. You walked far, you know, for a long time. It was time, but you didn't have to walk really fast. But the thing was to move, wander. We're made to wander and walk. So then I heard the saying, a long, slow distance. That's an LSD trip. So that's one of my absolute favorite tools to do, to walk, because I think we're made for walking. We are. And since I'm a dog lover, you know, I love to walk in the woods with my dog and look at the trees and listen to the sound of the trees and, you know, just be in nature and, and looking at plants and berries and birds and all that. I think nature is uh, our greatest healer if we know how to, you know, be in tune with it. So that's what I do. And so when you make a schedule for somebody that's going to go from junk food to keto and start this healthy lifestyle, you have to give them a lot of knowledge and information about the brain and what's going to happen in withdrawal. How will the red dog react? Mm -hmm. It's going to protest. It's going to try to seduce you. It's going to whisper to you. It's going to justify why you shouldn't do it today, why you should do it tomorrow. And one of my favorite tours early that I got taught for, from people going ahead of me was to make a commitment every morning. And that's what I do still after 36 plus years. Wow. So every morning I said, well, whatever comes my way today, I'm not going to drink and I'm going to stick to my healthy food plan. Because I know that nothing, I mean, the worst day today, nothing going to make it better if I would start eating or drinking. So I make that commitment. And another thing I learned if let's say that you and I lived in the same city and you called me and said, do you want to go to the movies with me tomorrow? And we're friends. And I said, sure, fine, good. 
I wouldn't, you know, forget about it or not be in touch with you or just, you know, let you stand there. I'm not coming. I promised you, right? So we are so good at keeping promises to other people around us, you know, Mm -hmm. and job and everything. But when it came to promising myself, I broke it all the time. So I also made up my mind that, you know, I don't promise me everything because I can't keep everything because life is life, right? But the thing I promised myself, I have to stick to that. That's more important than promising somebody else. I love that you said that. I was actually thinking exactly about that, what you just shared. I have the same thought process, you know, when you have a job interview, right? You're going to show up at 8 a.m. because you have respect for that appointment. So do you think it's a lack of respect for yourself? That's what's happening here? Yeah, yeah. You know, the drug takes away self-compassion, strength, energy, great resilience. The drug takes everything. The drug rules you totally, Mm -hmm. totally rules everything. So to go from that mindset that's been due to the drug, living in the false drug world, out to doing this, you know, it's, you have to be like an athlete. You have to practice every day. And then, you know, perfectionism is dangerous like crazy. Because as soon as you try to be perfect, you know, the black and white thinking, oh, I blew it. I didn't eat my lunch at 12. Oh, I might as well go and eat something. This is, you know, the seductiveness of the red dog thinking instead of thinking, oh, shoot, well, I didn't get my lunch at 12. Am I smart enough to solve this? What a challenge. What do I do now? Well, I can go here and eat lunch. And by by the way, I'm not going to starve to death if I have to wait until dinner if something really happens. You know, that kind of thinking is the addictive thinking, you know, and, and delayed gratification. That's another thing. Of course, we don't have any good uh, neuron connections in the brain to do other fun stuff. So when I say to my clients, why don't you take up biking? Oh, boring. Because everything except eating is boring. (laughs) You know? (laughs) So I said, okay, do it anyway. So, (laughs) and they look at me shocked and said, yeah, you know what? Once you've done it 10 times, it's going to be fun. And I think it is, you know, today when you work with coaching and all that, one of the differences I see is when you coach somebody, you work with their thoughts, feelings, urges to change actions, right? And you negotiate with your client what they're willing to do. You can't do that with addicts. First of all, addicts have false uh, feelings from the broken biochemistry They have false negative thoughts from the broken biochemistry. They have no impulse control, so they have crazy urges. Anything that comes up, I want to eat, you know. So that's kind of urges. So you have to start, you know, ignoring those things in the beginning, the false feelings, false thoughts, and the crazy urges. You have to start with behavior. So you have to dare have the guts when you work with addicts to say, This is what I want you to do tomorrow. It's no negotiation. You can't negotiate with the red dog. And then they go, well, I do what I want. And I said, sure, yeah, of course you do. But let me tell you one thing. I am doing you a disservice if I'm not honest with you. This is not a walk in the park. And this brain illness is deadly in the long run. So I'm the pro. I have learned this. I know how to get out of the jungle. You can start walking around in the jungle all by yourself again, but you've done that for 10, 15, 30, 40 years. Where did that take you? So do you want to listen to me and take my way out of the jungle? You have nothing to lose. So you have to dare be tough with them. In Sweden, we have a saying, it's like an iron fist in a silk glove. But you have to do it. You have to... Show them that you really care, and that has to be deeply honest. But yeah. and you have to really let them know that I know what I'm talking about. You know, I'm not playing around here. This is the way it is. This is the tr- when they know that you know what you're talking about, and you are really pointing this out. They feel safe. But you have to have the guts to do it because some red dogs become very angry. They are like Cesar Milan with the pit bull that is no fun. But you have to still be Cesar Milan. 
Right. Yeah. I, mean, I could imagine that if you tell somebody, you know, you have to abstain from this, uh, it could light up that red dog. Like, what? What do you mean abstain? Never have ice cream again. Never have, you know, that soda again. And I could imagine that that, that part of the brain. Oh, the, some the, people the, become the really angry. Yeah. Some people can attack you almost. So I say to my students, if you're afraid for red dogs, you know, don't work in this field. Mm-hmm. Because you have to stand there like Cesar, you know, calm and assertive, and you don't move. Mm. Well, this is the truth. And then, you know, there are other things that's important to, in these tools. Never ever say beat 2022 to an addict. They have a broken perspective on time. So you said, well, if they say, I'm never going to have ice cream again, you said, I never said that. I say that, can you stay away one day, 24 hours? Can you do that? Okay, I can do that. Fine. Okay, let's take another commitment tomorrow. But for today, stay away. Mm. And you take one day at a time, and you don't know how many days, weeks, months, and years that can be. (laughs) Mm. Got it. Because it's only one day at a time. You can never go further with an addict because they don't get that. You know, then they go into poor me, poor me, or never more, and I can't do that. And yeah, yeah, you can do it. You can do it for today, only today. It's great. And also the thing that you have to say, no matter what to yourself. I don't eat that no matter what. You make up stuff like that. You know, you create these mantras, these frameworks for your day and you listen to other people. When you do the drug, you have activity in the reward center and the reptilian brain. And that one is street smart, but not very intelligent. And it's very ego. I want my drug when I want my drug. But when you share about yourself and listen to others share, you have activity in the reward center and the prefrontal cortex. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So your brain actually heals when you listen to others talking about how they do it. So when you have a problem, you know, you should have at least three addicts around you. That's in recovery, of course, not active. Right. And you you run into a problem, like you have to go on a job trip and you're afraid you're going to relapse. And then you explain to them the risk situation. And you said, what would you do if it was your problem? What would you do if it was your problem? What would you do if it was your problem? Because you are stuck in a you know rut with your thinking. So you have to open up. You have to be very open-minded that, oh, yeah, of course I can do that. I didn't think of that. Oh, that's a good idea. That's great. Yeah, that's great advice. So here's what I got from you. You know, for somebody making this transition from standard American diet, high processed diet, some things to support you along the way, MCT oil to help, of course, with ketone production, it helps them get some key, some energy to the brain, GABA. You also mentioned that conscious breathing, which is consciousbreathing.com, doing a list of what takes energy away versus what charges you up and do more of the things that are giving you energy, identify what that is. And I love this part, starting your morning with a commitment. Like today... I am going to stay strong no matter what. Today, I'm in control no matter what. So I love, I'm a big fan of affirmations. Is there anything else you want to throw into that arsenal of tools you just shared? It's only for today. Only for today. Only for today. I'm only going to do this for today. You know, if you get craving at 10 o'clock, you said, well, I can handle it from t- until lunch. So I'm only going to do it until lunch. You can break it down in, you know, three parts a day. I can only do it in the evening. I'm going to, and also reach out to people because something the red dog doesn't like is when you tell on it. So if my red dog would start whispering stupid things in me, like we should go and have some chocolate, I call you, Ben, and I said, do you know what my red dog is telling me? I got to tell you. And then we can have a laugh at it, you know, and somebody has shared their craziness with the red dog. That is very, very relieving and takes the pressure off. So the dog shrinks, you know, when you do that. If you sit home alone and ruminate and listen to the dog, you're in very bad company, I'm telling you. Well, just 
framing it in that way of red dog versus blue dog is very helpful, at least to me. I mean, because when you have those thoughts like, oh my God, I have to go to the kitchen and find some sugar. You could say, oh, that's the red dog. Like, why is red dog doing that? And you could kind of like choose more of the blue dog and say, blue dog, take over. <laughs> blue dog, come, in, come into the house here and tell the red dog to go away. Like you could have these fun conversations, but that to me, that, it makes so much sense because you're, you're actually putting what's happening in the brain into two separate components. So I love the idea of doing that. It's beautiful. And also, you know, uh, you find out how to boost the red dog and you can uh, call you and say, would you borrow my, would you take my red dog for a walk for an hour? It's That's driving good. me nuts here now. You know, you can play all kinds of things like that with the red dog and be aware of it. The first thing is to be aware of it because a lot of people are not aware in the beginning. And also, uh, yeah, I think I am bad. No, I have an enemy in me. I'm not my red dog. Mm. I have a red dog and it's, I want to shrink it. You can't kill it. It's always going to be there, but you can handle it. It's like an obnoxious three-year-old, but you can learn how to deal with this thing, you know, so it doesn't rule you or take over. So I know David Wolf, you know, David. Uh, yeah, he's, he's been on the show. Sugar. I met him through you. Yep. Yeah, Sugar X Global. I think they do a beautiful treatment program and they call it the Blue dog boosters. What are your blue dog boosters? Great. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I'm yeah. going to just take that note. Blue dog boosters. Okay. And uh, thank you so much. This has been so great. I know that a lot of the listeners and viewers are, a lot of things are clicking for them right now. And it's making a lot of sense to why they start something, stop something, or why they can't even start something and why they have this red dog taking over and how they could overcome this. So where, again, share your website, share wherever else they could find you and work with you and just learn more about what you're doing. Well, you know, first of all, you can join the support group, a uh, close support group on Facebook called Sugar Bomb in Your Brain. You're more than welcome to come in there. The only guidelines we have, do not post pictures of food in there. You know, mm. you can uh, talk, you can't mention certain foods either like chocolate or ice cream or blah, 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 drug food. You can talk about the sweets or the drug food or, you know, carbs or whatever, use that. Because people trigger, they trigger. It has to be a safe zone somewhere, you know, where you don't meet recipes or triggers and all that. And then if you go to my website, bittensaddiction.com, uh, there's a lot to read and you can always contact me there. And you have that list with professionals all over the world that you could contact for help. So those are, and there is another group too called Sugar Free Cookbook, where you can uh, ask questions about uh, food. Uh, but you know, the thing is too, what I love seeing, uh, you know, is that in the keto world now, more and more people start daring to talk addiction. And that's going to be incredible when people address that and dare use that name so they can get help through many, many more. I love that. Yeah, it's it's so I'm important. I'm so grateful for that. Yes. Yeah, and you're doing great work and and getting the message out there. You know, I forgot to ask you one more thing before we wrap this up. Sure. You, you said if you're an addict, you're always an addict. You got to stay away from sugar. But what about monk fruit, stevia, these natural sweeteners? What about that? Well, some people use it in the beginning. I think that could be the only thing you might use in the beginning if you're having a very hard time. But you know, anything sweet will trigger. So you know. We trigger seeing things. We trigger smells. That is not a weak willpower. Willpower is nothing, you know, for us. It's not about willpower. So, you know, the taste, the sight, uh, the smell, the sound, hearing people crunch, crunch, and eat can trigger cravings. It's nothing we can do anything about. It's involuntary reaction in our brain due to our sensitivity and our addiction. So I wouldn't advise people to use that. Understood. So maybe it might be a crutch in the very beginning, but you don't want to trade a sugar addiction for a, a monk food addiction. So you want to avoid that too. Awesome. Yeah. Bitten, thank you so much for your knowledge, expertise, your experience and just what you shared today. I think it's so valuable for my listeners and viewers and we appreciate you. I, I love the work that you're doing and I look forward to many more collaborations with you and uh, you're tuning in from all the way in Sweden. I'm in Miami, Florida. What a blessing and thank you so much for coming on my podcast. 
Thank you. I really love what you do and I love you. You're a wonderful man. You've love done you right a beautiful back. journey yourself. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Bitten Johnson. Her website is bittensaddiction.com. We'll drop a link down below. We will also put her social media, her YouTube channel, the interview she did with me in the podcast notes, along with detailed notes courtesy of Rachel, who puts all this together for you. Make sure you listen to a previous episode we've done with David Wolf on sugar addiction, one of her students, which we'll reference down below in the show notes. If this episode was valuable to you, if you know somebody who's struggling with sugar addiction, send this to them. Copy and paste the link, put it in a text message, and please leave the Keto Camp Podcast a rating and review on Apple Podcast. I want to thank you so much for listening to the entire episode of the Keto Camp Podcast. I'll see you on the next one. This podcast is for information purposes only. Statements and views expressed on this podcast are not medical advice. This podcast, including Benazadi, disclaim responsibility from any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not accept responsibility of statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or non-direct interest in products or services referred to herein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician.